Podcast One production. I'm Sammy Lucas and I'm romantically challenged. I often wonder if I really have any idea what I'm doing when it comes to dating. You know the feeling, you keep meeting the wrong people, you're constantly disappointed and disheartened after yet another bad date and you do start to feel like you're doing it all wrong. Surely there's a better way to find love. My guest, Tamer, is a tech evangelist, which means he sees everything according to data. So he applied this theory to his love life and even created his very own dating system to find love. And guess what? It worked. Well, kind of. So is that the key, that you need to remove all the emotion and just focus on the data in front of you? Is that a more effective way to find love? You be the judge. Here's Tomei. Hi, my name is Tomer and I'm a male in my mid-30s. I enjoy travel, training and abstracting the world around me. I work in artificial intelligence building the future of work and have always enjoyed being single. My ideal partner would be one which satisfies my non-negotiables, rendering compromise irrelevant. Dating in my 30s for me is fun and easy, but a low priority as I focus more on myself. My aim is to transform high-flying executives into data-driven, zero-fucks-given weapons of mass seduction. Tamir, me, me, me. I want to be a data-driven, zero-fucks-given weapon of mass seduction. How, how are you going to help me do that? <laughs> it's, um, it's definitely all about mindset. I think we place too much of a focus on following the manuscript that was designed for us to live in a society, right? you got to get a good job climb the corporate ladder, find a partner, buy a house, you know, have children. And so really, are we living somebody else's blueprint or are we living our own, right? And the minute you start removing yourself from the need to be validated by others, the sooner you become more attractive. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that page. But the fact is a lot of people are still looking for a partner and, you know, I'm very happy being single. I say this all the time, but I still would love to have someone in my life. And look, the podcast is about dating. Mm -hmm. And I love that your approach to dating is just so, (laughs) so out there. And it all comes from the fact, basically your career, you're a tech evangelist. Can you briefly describe what that involves? Yeah. So we basically build future of work applications. So that is essentially we look at what the future of work may be and we try to understand what the limitations of technology is today, Mm. in particular machine learning, natural language processing, neural networks, the world of kind of artificial intelligence and the limitations of human labor because there are limitations to what we can do as biological species. And what we do is we explore those intersections. So if you come to work on a daily basis and you act like a machine, then you will be replaced by a machine because the machine's going to be right. ultimately better than you. There are some things machines can't do, and I would argue that that is finding love. But you would argue that perhaps <laughs> you can use data to find love, um, which is what we're here to talk about. So you, with this, armed with this knowledge, you know, and this focus on basically data, you created your own dating system. Was this out of frustration? 
that other things weren't working for you in the dating world? No, I just didn't know how to be single. So um, I, when I, I was like 20 at the time, I'd met this girl and I was with her for eight and a half years. Um, and uh, that relationship kind of went south pretty fast. Um, I was five days from proposing to her um, in New York and I found out she was cheating on me. Right? So I'm <gasps> five like, days before the planned proposal. Yeah, yeah, that was... Uh, it was an interesting time in my life. But, of course, I was pretty immature at the time as well, right? So, I mean, what do you, you don't know anything about life, really, in your 20s. I mean, you're just trying to work shit out. So, like, um, I was in the same boat. And, of course, you're hurt and, you know, you start to go, I'm, I'm such a victim and, you know, whatever. Like, you know, she cheated on me and it's the end of the world. Did uh, you think she was the one you were going to marry then and have kids with? You had, in that moment, I mean, you were five days away from proposing yeah. to her. So you had locked and loaded. She was it. Thinking back, I did it as a formality, right? So, uh, you know, it's basically... It's eight ba- years, what's the you next go, step? You yeah, like, you know, you've been, with, you've been with this person for so long, might as well put a ring on it. <laughs> and, you know, thinking back, I dodged a massive bullet, right? Massive bullet. Um, not even because of those findings, but like seriously, you know, if you're if you find someone uh, that your needs at in your early twenties are so different to your needs, say in your early thirties, and this is why I think you see a lot of breakdowns. And so, um, you yeah, know, but there's a lot of people that do meet in their early twenties and make it work. Yeah, there's a lot you know, of people and not that don't. just not just like my parents who just celebrated their fifty third wedding anniversary, but there are still people in their twenties getting married today. Absolutely, I think it might be a generational thing because my parents are the same, right? But um, now we've basically got this abundance of choice, right? Mm. And in a world where there's free vending machines of candidates. You got to change the tactic. Okay, so you look at Tinder and you go, "I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to use my data knowledge to find a match." Mm-hmm. What was your goal then, as a guy in his late twenties who's just found out his potential fiance has cheated on him after nine years? Was your was your goal going into it to get dates, to get matches, to get as much sex as you could, or to find? The one. I was open to every possibility. And I think that's kind of why. If you, you didn't, I didn't set an agenda. I just set up an environment which would deliver any result. Matches. So it was about getting as many matches as you Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, everyone that was in their late 20s that had been single in their 20s had uh, lived a different life to me, right? They've been able to go out and explore and find themselves through dating women, um, whereas I hadn't had that. So I was creating an environment where in the span of eight months, I was able to date 117 women. So it was about just letting loose, letting the animal out of the cage and getting laid as much as you could. Yes and no, yeah. right? So there's, there, <laughs> that was, okay there was an work. upside to it, right? So like, you know, if you're going to do all the work, you might as well get some benefit out well, of it. But there you go. But the, the idea is that, um, the idea was that, my matches would improve over time. So this is kind of where the science has come in. Not right? just getting matches, but getting good matches. matches. Right. So then let's get to the nitty gritty of it. You started on Tinder and you started experimenting with your profile photo. Yeah. How did that work? So uh, the first thing I did was I looked at my photos as a basically uh, the visual element to my ad, right? And Tinder allowed six photos at the time. And so basically what we did was we took uh, the primary photo, the photo that was on top of your 
your stack. And I only swiped 20 women a day with that photo that I was actually interested in, right? So I didn't just swipe 20 and then be done with it. I swiped 20 a day for seven days. And then I counted the score, the return score that I'd got off that photo. So out of 140, I would score it based on the return swipes I got, right? Second week, I used my second photo. Right. After six weeks, I'd have the exact rotation of the most effective images to use in my dating profile. This is brilliant. Oh, it it doesn't even end there. You went through six photos over six weeks. Which photo performed the best? Me with my dog. Of course it did. (laughs) (laughs) What sort of dog is it? Uh, She's a Jack Russell Cross mini foxy. Bless. She's She's a little Why do you think that was the photo that got you the most matches? To be honest, I I asked a lot of candidates this um, and uh, and they basically said because it shows that I have the ability to care for something, right? And also dogs are pretty cute. So, um, What was the worst performing photo? Um, it wasn't the worst. It was just the least best, um, which was me on the side of a truck. Um, me with my face on the side of a truck. So I, had, I did this conference once where they put my face on the side of a billboard on the side of a truck driving around Sydney. Because you're a speaker too. We should let yeah. people know you speak at big events. Right, okay. So it was the <laughs> one where you were basically promoting yourself as this kind know, of look at me. I had better photos that were performed. Better. That was just me on stage and I had my, um, yeah, I have like, there's a, a cross section of different things. There's one of me like on the back of a horse Riding horse, and that was the second best performing photo. It's all about the animals, guys. Take the tips from Tamir. (laughs) Okay, so then um, what I want to know though on the Mm. image thing though, you were obviously it was very clinical, it was very calculated. Are you actually presenting the real you, or are you really then in effect presenting a version of you that you think women are going to be interested in? Well, I mean, I'm not exactly going to post a photo of myself sitting on the toilet first thing in the morning, right? So it's kind of like you you do present yourself in the bed. It's kind of like a job interview in a way. You're not going to come in there and go, hey, I'm pretty shit, but hey, you should still hire me. So they were all legit photos of you in yeah. your real life being you. You're basically right. going, you're basically saying in this three milliseconds of you swiping through, this is the these are the photos that are going to make you want to stop, right? How do you separate yourself from a sea of average? you become above average. But there's a lot of right? men with photos of their dogs. You're not the only guy with a cute dog yeah, so on then, Tinder. So that's they should be performing better. Okay. Right. So then after the photo, once you established which photo was performing best, what was the next level? Um, so then it was about my bio, right? And so, again, if you look at kind of um, uh, a lot of the effective copywriting in the past, you know, they, they kind of started with Ogilvy and kind of progressed on to basically direct mail and, and writing effective copy to get customers to buy things, right? That's kind of the purpose of it. That's where it started. You could sell stuff. This was no different, right? How do you create a compelling bio that um, empowers the person who's reading that bio and then uh, essentially enables them to make a decision which makes them look good? Right or feel better about themselves. So for you to feel good about yourself or for the person choosing you for to them, feel good about choosing you? Yeah. Oh, this is complicated. Okay. For them to feel good about <laughs> choosing you, yeah. Right. <laughs> so you specifically targeted your bio and wrote a bio Yeah. that was not just about this is what I'm looking for 
It was yeah. something that she was going to feel good about right. responding to. Because if that's you think a lot of thought into that, it's a lot of thought. But I mean, it's it's a very small space to capture um, those, that logic. And so the idea was to make um, the the person who was viewing my profile feel more empowered about themselves. So I was actually asking for a power woman. That's what I said, looking for a power woman who knows where she's going in life and unafraid to make it on her own. Sexy starts with the brain, right? And that was the line that was seriously effective because you're looking at this thing going, everyone here, you know, the first message that people were sending on on Tinder, so I've heard from other women, was like, oh, you're hot or, you know, mm-hmm. you should catch up or whatever. But that's like, how is that any different to anyone else, right? And you're suddenly going, well, the way you look is irrelevant. We already established that you're attractive because I swiped right on you. Um, but you know, if it's just if it's just a a looks thing, then there's a vending machine of them, right? There's just an endless vending machine of attractive women. So how do you basically take the cream of the crop? Did you get any negative reaction to that comment? I've never really had too much of a negative reaction um, to it. Um, it's not it was, really offensive. It's just saying I want a strong woman who knows her shit and. As yeah, a brain. I think at the end of the day, everyone just wants to be appreciated based on their own merit, not in the way that they look. So how did you get to that point where that was the most effective line? Uh, so testing, right? So again, no one really knows unless you get results, right? So we had three different versions of that bio. So basically, it's just saying the same thing in a different way and, and trying to word it in a way which you think, three different ways which you think might be effective, and really, all you do is you basically go, okay, well, I'm switching to this bio for the first week. Now I've established the order of my photos. Now let's test this bio for a week and see what the response is. Now let's go to a different bio on the second week. Let's go to a third one on the third week and go, okay, well, number two was the best. Right? So why did that bio, in your opinion, work the best? I, it's hard to tell because there's really no analytics on Tinder, right? So... Uh, but I think it was worded in a way which resonated more gently with the people who were reading it. It's interesting, though, because for a bio, it's normally a bio is about you. Yeah. But your bio was actually about her. Yeah, it was. Because I think if you look at the most effective ads, it's not really about the product, even though it is. It's about making you feel like you're good enough to buy that thing, right? Right. So, um, or that you should in order to be better, right? (laughs) So um, it's a lot of, yeah, it's basically marketing science. So you got your photo, you've got your bio. The next step is having a conversation and matching and going on a date. So how did you approach that? The only way I knew how, which was psychometrically, right? (laughs) So uh, I had a, a very close friend of mine who's a behavioral scientist help me compile a list of short questions, which I could ask in order to determine um, how psychometrically aligned we are. Well, you did this all over messaging? Yeah. Before was, you've even spoken on the phone? Yeah. What, just, you sent her like a survey. You were no, like, no, hi, no. this is me. Could you answer these 10 questions before I'll date you? Opening line <laughs> was a question, right? But it was so obscure that it was like, a, what the fuck? Right? What was the question? Would you ever steal a stapler from work? That was your opening line to someone that that you've just matched with. There's so many others. Okay, Uh, wait a minute. So let's say we've matched. Um, Yeah. You send me that question. That's the first thing you say. Would you ever steal a stapler from work? It's original. I like it. And I would say absolutely not. 
I am a straighty 180. I just couldn't live with myself. I can't even steal toilet paper from work mm-hmm. if I know I'm running low at right. home. So what does that tell you? So if you think about it, this isn't about... Are we a match? Uh, maybe if I asked you the other nine, we were better. <laughs> um, so the the idea is that it's not really about the stapler, right? It's about how devious you are. This is kind of a victimless crime. It's a crime. Mm-hmm. It's wrong. You won't go to jail for it. It's kind of wrong. But I would still do it, you know? And it's kind of like, would somebody do bad shit with me if we could get away with <laughs> they it? No, they're not going to get know? caught. And so, and so and basically Claude. the idea is that um, you would ask these questions casually. So it's kind of like, oh, that's an interesting, you know, and how was your day? And then blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, that's that's interesting. What's your relationship like with your family? And then it's like, what? Um, so ma- what were the 10 questions? Um, I know, top of my head, it's been a while. Top of my head, it's hard to remember. Stapler, relationship with your family. Yeah, relationship with the family. There were questions about um, uh, whether they preferred, you know, material items over travel. But just, you know, kind of very basic uh, questions that really determined the type of person they are. The idea was that you would just basically score that a one or a zero, right? Based on your own beliefs, right? And what I had is I had a CRM basically at the time. What's that? A customer relationship management platform. It's essentially just a glorified spreadsheet where I would log their name and their age and then I would score out of all the questions a one or a zero, right? One pass, zero fail. And and at the end, they would get a score, um, and then I could reorganize my list based on the, the similarities to myself. Um, and so you basically match by the most aligned answers uh, out of 10. Yeah. And so then you've basically got a list. So you go, here's 10 out of 10 all the way to a one. But who would you date? Would you only date the 10 out of 10s, the girls that scored 10? No, I, I would kind of work my way down the list. Um, but you'd keep adding it. Yeah, keep adding to the list as well. So it's just, you know, those who got close kind of want to date. So 10 questions. I mean, of all the things you could ask, 10 doesn't seem like many at all Mm. to potentially find your match. How did you formulate those 10 questions? What was it based on? Your values, what you were looking for? It was No, it was basically based around my own kind of belief system, right? And so you don't want to – it's not really like a a virtual grilling of sorts. You know, we're not interrogating. It's just a a gentle prod at understanding their underlying decision matrix and then taking that and going, well, this is a decent foundation to build a first date on, off of, right? Because if you think about it, um, when you traditionally meet somebody off the street, yeah, sure, there's all that, you know, the excitement and the, you know, the sparks or whatever people call it. But um, the issue is that you have to live with that particular decision, not only when you immediately meet them, but also for a number of days until you work these things out intrinsically without asking them up front, right? So, oh, yeah, so I'm just spending them time with my family this weekend. And they're like, oh, why would you do that? You should be spending time with me or something, right? And that kind of shows a lack of family values where right. that's kind of, you know, it, you want to basically take care of your non-negotiables up front. I guess it's also almost a process of elimination. Mm -hmm. You could eliminate people straight away. Don't even waste your time on a date with them if you know that your values are completely... Absolutely. Like I said, I think the the issue is that if you view the world of dating as this kind of limited resource, then you act like it, 
right? But if you view it as this kind of stream of abundance that there is just so many out of 7 billion people, you know, you've got the old and the underage and just basically people you'll never be able to touch. But, you know, if you look at kind of even your geography around you and the volume of single people around you, I argue, A, what's the rush? And B, um, you know, why not find the best possible decision to start it off with as opposed to just going, oh, it's good enough for now. I, I love that you're such an optimist. I guess I'm such a pessimist. You go, oh my God, there's 7 billion people in the world. Of course I can be selective. I'm like, oh my God, I can't even find like three to choose from. <laughs> but it's all the way you look at it. Which your theory though, even though you have this, you know, as you say, it's like a, uh, it's, it's a vision of abundance and you're not wasting your time with the riffraff. But what you're process didn't, doesn't seem to do, it doesn't make allowances for chemistry and pheromones and that unidentifiable X factor that you just feel when you meet someone that may have appeared to be completely wrong for you and then you meet them and that's your perfect match. But why, why, why don't you? But don't you worry that you missed out on, on some amazing chemistry with someone because she doesn't want to steal a stapler from the office? I think if, you've, <laughs> if you're living with the fear of not having chemistry when you meet someone, I think you've got bigger problems, right? What do you mean? So if you live your life in fear of things, uh, in, in fear of not being good enough or in fear of not having that kind of storybook romance unfold in front of you, you're oxidizing every single day with that fear holding you back. I don't think it's living with a fear of missing out on chemistry. It's a desire to find that chemistry yeah. is how I see it. Sure. And, and I guess that might mean something different to a lot of different people, right? But it's, it's hard to impose a generic requirement for love being a chemistry thing as the critical factor in, in starting something off, right? I prefer to start off with a solid foundation and then build the chemistry on right. top of that, yeah. right? So it's just like, you know, making sure your test tubes are clean before you pour the chemicals in, right? <laughs> Otherwise, you just get a really unwanted reaction down the line. Is that like a code for something else? No, it's or, not. Right, okay, I good. just made okay. that up. Jeez, we, it's so <laughs> fascinating that you look at the world so differently. I love it. Okay, so um, the success rate, you've already mentioned you had 117 dates. Yeah. How long did that take? Eight months. Eight months. It was one every two days or so. When you got to the date stage, though, is that the point where you threw away all the science and the data and just relied on nature and pheromones? There was one more test. good she smelled. Oh, there was another test. No, it wasn't really a test, but it was one where I basically told them everything about what I was doing. On the first date. So this is first you wait date. until you're in person and say, by the way, you're part of a data experiment. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, I'm not here for any reason other than to um, see what this is about and to see whether I was right about this as an approach to dating, right? And, um, and, you know, you're here as a result of a success in this experiment. And so some women didn't really like that, right? That's the whole point. So women who weren't interested in that particular approach would just be like, oh, that's kind of... But can't you see that they felt like a guinea pig? It's like, wait a minute, I've put so much on the line here to communicate with you, to match with you, to go out of my way, to meet with you, and now you've just told me I'm a guinea pig in a science experiment? And this is the thing. 
you can take it any way because there were others who were just like, holy shit, this is awesome, you know? And I'm here because of that. So yeah, man, there's like a list of like a hundred that didn't make it, you know? So there's, you're looking at different sides of the spectrum. Sure, you can focus on negative stuff, but who gives a shit, right? You're there, you're having fun, you're having a drink or whatever. Um, but uh, at the end of the and like I said, the ones who weren't really interested or go, oh, you know, I don't know if I could see this progressing any further, that resulted in a different type of friendship, if that makes sense. And then the ones who really loved it, they were basically kind of interrogating and helping you make it better. And so the whole thing about sciencing things is that you take a theory, you apply it into practice, and then you learn whether or not it's working or not. And so if I went on a date and I scored that date poorly, we could actually change the way that we ask questions in, in the app, like psychometrically, to determine um, if we can actually improve the scoring system so that dates would be kind of more good than bad. Right. right, okay, so you could eliminate even more of the yeah. undesirables. You, you basically end up driving the car instead of being a passenger, right? You're in control now. Right? You're in so, control of who you date yeah. and how and you date. And in control of how you spend your time, which is the most critical aspect. Was there a point when you totally threw this data and the science away? Like maybe after your third drink, you loosen up and it's like, hey, it's just me and this yeah, is fun and absolutely. I'm not thinking about experiments anymore. Oh, look, you know, once you basically say uh, this was, this is, an ex- this is a science experiment and I'm here for like for... Um, for organic reasons, I'm here for like legitimate reasons, but this is kind of the way I've done it. Yeah. Whether, you know, once they're good or bad with it, then you basically take it down a very natural path. I think that's the key, Tomer, because if you just said to me, oh, yeah, you're part of a science experiment, <laughs> joke's on you, <laughs> I'd just slap you in the face and walk out. But right. <laughs> if you're saying, look, I'm genuinely trying to find love and find yeah. someone, I'm just going about it in a different way to see yeah. if I can find my partner that way. That makes sense to me. But, okay, 117 dates in eight months. You've been in a relationship for nine years. Can we be really honest? Like what yeah. percentage led to sex? Uh, a high percentage. <laughs> um, it, was, it was good enough. The ones that didn't slap me on the face on the first date typically resulted in that. Um, and it was it was really good. Like like I said, you know, in in your twenties as a male, um, you're kind of living through your uh, biological urges, right? That's kind of what your dating is being driven by in your twenties. So I was making up for lost time. Right. Okay. 117 dates. Yeah. What happened with 118? There wasn't. I ended up dating the girl who was my 117th date. Right. And that went for three years. Wow. Um, it was really great. Like, so you, the, the, the experiment worked. It worked. You found a partner. Yeah. Did I you fall in love? Like I wasn't there to like, like I said, I, I wasn't there to fuck around, but kind of. You, you could did take a little bit way. along the way, but then but, you met someone. Yeah, absolutely. Someone who was equally as, you know, liberated and uh, entrepreneurial and kind of a little bit um, abstract in the way that she saw the world. Right, and it was interesting because that fireworks, that chemistry you talk about, that did exist, right? From the start, from right from the start, like it was crazy. Um, so yeah, and and that's kind of the um, the journey was a successful one. It was fun. I guess but, otherwise, like if it, that's science isn't designed to fail, it's designed to win as long as you keep mm-hmm. at it. 
keep experimenting. But did did it win or did that eventually fail? Because you said you did date for three years. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it a failure. We just kind of, uh, we're on different journeys, right? And so um, if anything, we were very similar in terms of our worldview and whatever, right? And that creates, that can create some friction. But I'm not, that's not to say that there was friction or bad friction in the relationship. It was just, it was good friction. And it was one that we were able to literally uplift each other and make each other grow. But that growth, those journeys led into different different pathways, right? And so um, you've got to be okay with it. So what, you were too similar because you're, we not, too similar. you're not married now. You're not no. still together. No. So was that maybe a flaw in the system that you found someone that was too similar to you? Don't yeah. opposites attract? Absolutely. Is that, so not, if, is that a scientific thing, opposites attract? I, I think it is in this scenario, right? I could have actually flipped that spreadsheet and started yes, dating so, people who were completely opposing to my beliefs. If that's a scientific approach, why did you not take that approach to start with? Because I didn't know, right? I didn't know. I was just following. I was like, I want someone who's similar to me, right? And so, and, and you know, to be honest, after that three years, I never revisited this system, Oh, you threw that away and went, okay. (laughs) I just, I became too busy to give a shit, right? But like, it's, it it was fun though. It was a great chapter in my life. So then you approach things differently. I mean, obviously you were still out there dating, looking for love. Yeah, look, I mean, yeah. And again, you know, looking for love. Yeah, that could still be uh, questioned. But the idea was that if I created a system in the past that would allow me to date significantly, I created a system that would inverse that, right? A system that would allow me to stay single, right? And so... What's the point? And it's if you think about it, if you think about it, it, it is a system which enables you to actually find somebody um, who satisfies these kind of 12 key criteria or 10, 12 criteria or whatever it is that you fundamentally believe in. They're your non-negotiables and you stay single until somebody matches all of the criteria. Right. So it is the non-negotiables. It's basically eliminating all of the red flags. So there Absolutely. are no red flags. Absolutely. So it was it was a system designed to keep you single until you found someone. But wait a minute, so then there's no room for compromise? Isn't that a big part of meeting someone is compromise? That's what we're all told. There's no perfect person, you know? Yeah. So I have a problem with that. Right, so I think compromise is like a uh, one of the most dangerous things you could do. Right? Really, because you're not being true to yourself. Right, like think about it. The relationships that break down are the ones where you've compromised. Only relationships where you've been able to stay as independent as possible. Only when there's two independent people together that are uplifting each other, helping each other resolve their weaknesses. That's where magic happens. But some people would say, Tomer, that you can still be two individual people that lift each other up and you can do that in a way by compromising on certain things. That's what enables you to lift each other up. But that inherently isn't lifting each other up. That's taking yourself down. Compromise. No, but compromise doesn't mean it has to be negative. Sometimes compromise can be a positive thing, can't it? Potential. I mean, if you're like, you know, if you're inclined to do bad things and that person stops you from doing bad things, I guess so. But if you're going, if you're like going, well, I fundamentally believe in traveling and I, I want to keep traveling and, and the other person's going, no, 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 
it's time to not yeah, but travel. It's the degree of what you'll compromise on. Clearly, you know, would you be with a, like, for example, a girlfriend of mine met a guy and he was perfect in every way, except he's a smoker and she's not a smoker. And she always said, I'd never date a smoker. So she compromised on that and went, okay, well, he smokes. It's not ideal, but he's agreed to smoke outside. He doesn't smoke in the house. He doesn't smoke around me. They're still married 10 years later with two kids. Sure. So she compromised and he compromised and it worked out. I think. Sure. And again, if it works, it works, right? But that's, uh, that would be an exception to a rule, right? So the, I think, the thing is to remember is that um, oftentimes we're kind of clouded when we come into a relationship. It's kind of the honeymoon period. You know, we just want to like get in there. It's fun and it's exciting. Why is it exciting? It's exciting because there's mystery. We're still unraveling that other person, right? And eventually we might at the start, we might stumble across things we don't really like, but we're going, ah, let's just forget that for now. And we'll just continue on a merry way and it's getting excited. And as soon as that excitement ends, that honeymoon period ends, is when mystery stops. Mystery stops because you've unraveled everything there is to know about that particular person. And now those compromises are going to come back and hurt you, right? And this is what I, what I it's like a haunting right? It's kind of, you're in this new house and it's really awesome. You can't notice a ghost one night, but you're going to ignore it for now because it's this cool new house. Eventually, once you got used to the house, that ghost is going to annoy the shit out of you. So it's the same thing. It's, these, are, these are things that will not leave um, you. You can't basically go, I'll deal with that later um, because it's too late by that point. And so, especially when they've become much more um, kind of enamored by you at the start and then they're, they're kind of like over time getting so used to you that you know now they're starting to find their own they're uh, hardening their own independence right and if part of that hardening of their independence includes a significant thing that you would refuse to compromise on you're going to have to live with that and that's not a really great way to live so so would you not compromise on anything your approach is these are my non-negotiables, there will be no compromising. Yeah. Isn't that a bit lazy though? Like what about working at something? People would argue that relationships aren't all that easy. Like sometimes they take a bit of work. Yeah, but I mean everything takes work. Uh, the question is do you want to be there fixing somebody else's shit your whole life or focusing on your own shit, right? And, and I think there's a very easy answer to that, right? Um, so the the, que- uh, the way I look at it is if you're going to build a foundation with somebody, a relationship foundation with someone, they have to be someone who is violently independent, right? They don't need you. They don't need you. They're so happy to live without you. And I think at that point, you've created enough of a um, of a independence between you both that there is actually no dependencies because a lot of compromise results in dependency and that's where relationships break down because there's an imbalance of power. A lot of people are looking for that dependency. You know, like I agree with you. I want someone that is completely independent but there are a lot of people that crave that dependency, you know, and it doesn't always have to be codependency, I think, in a negative way. Some people just take a lot of warmth and and love and companionship from that kind of dependency, don't they? Yeah, there's a, from my heritage, there's a saying that says the lid for every saucepan, right? So yeah, sure. I mean, whatever works, but I can only speak Not from for personal you. experience. Yeah. Um, so you're single now or you've met someone? I'm single, like, you know, you date. But right, and you're happy. Oh, so happy. You're not going to compromise until you find the perfect woman. And it's actually, yes. And you know, it's funny because the more time you spend loving yourself 
and being happy with yourself, investing more time into yourself as opposed to trying to validate yourself to the opposite sex, you grow so much as a person. Your, your power grows, right? And that becomes inherently more attractive to the opposite sex because they're like, what does this person know that I don't know? They're like flying off the Richter scale. They're like on a rocket. Um, and if you're truly happy being on your own, then you really aren't in search of anything, no, right? Exactly. You're actually yeah. happy. Yeah. Okay. So to you, it all makes perfect sense. But to someone like me, and I'm sure a lot of people listening, your approach to to dating and finding a partner could be seen as incredibly clinical. You know, using data and science, it's it seems quite dry, almost mm-hmm. emotionless way to find someone. Where's for you, or is there? romance, chemistry, spontaneity, where does that fit in your whole approach? Huge, right? Because all we've spoken about is building the baseline, right? All we've spoken about is the building blocks in which you build that stuff on top of. Like romance, you could fall in love with anybody. And because of that luxury, why not make the best choice, right? And so that's the whole thing about is like if you can filter the world and your potential candidates by people who uh, satisfy your non-negotiables, you do leave room for all of that. And it's actually a safer environment in which to do so. What can the average person learn from your experiment, your research? It's, it comes down to mindset. And I think if you are kind of serious about looking for love and it's not working out, it's probably because you're being seen as one of many and it's time to not be one of many. I guess your approach to dating, which is to just filter out the undesirable so that you're just left with something that is perhaps going to give you a better chance of creating something meaningful. Is that is that how you would describe it? Have I sort of got my head around it the right way? No, it's true. Yeah. So basically you're applying a filter on top of, say, a pool of candidates and again, you know, if there's an abundance of them, uh, then there is an ability for you to actually uh, filter out, especially since you've been given the tools to do it, right? And so, um, yeah, do you, do you want to be a passenger and just have whatever the world throws at you or do you want to be in control, right? And so there are two different ways to date. Well, thank you so much for sharing your approach. It's just so amazing, incredible. Loved our chat. Could speak to you for another four hours. But you know what? You do talks. People can look you up and go and and hear you talk. And thanks for sharing everything. And Tamara, I really hope you find what you're looking for. Thank you so much. And likewise, thanks for having me. Romantically Challenged was presented by me, Sammy Lucas, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Sound production was by Matt Nikolic and the executive producer is Jenny Goggin. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app or look me up on iTunes.